Uh, good evening, afternoon, and morning, wherever you are uh, in the world today. Uh, just got our new demographic information. We've now hit 33 countries across the world. Um, so if you're out there listening in somewhere I haven't seen or heard of, welcome. Uh, this is the Dear People of Earth podcast, and today we're talking with uh, Joey Suffolk Clark, and he is going to introduce himself here just in a moment. But I wanted to also do a little housekeeping, let you know tonight's episode is brought to you by Texas Space LLC. Uh, you're going to be hearing a lot more about Texas Space here very shortly. Uh, that's just kind of a little a little tease to give you something. I'm uh, also personally involved with it, so I'll be giving you a little bit more information. Um, so what I'd like to do is just go right into this, uh, and I'd like to introduce Shobi, and I'm going to let him go ahead and tell him uh, tell you a lot about what he does and what we're going to be talking about tonight. I think it's going to be a very interesting episode. So, Mr. Clark, take it away. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Joey. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Stephen. Um, so essentially, uh, what I've been doing is I've been researching Earth's evolutionary history. And what I'm partic my particular area of research is essentially um, relating Earth's evolutionary history and you know, making um, new discoveries. Um, basically, uh, there's a lot of mis mystery that goes on and basically the, the evolution of single-celled organisms to um, intelligent mammals who created civilization was a long, quite long ride and a quite um, um, not very well understood ride. And so I've even made discoveries that have been able to relate Earth's evolutionary history to things like UFOs that we see today, things like the dinosaur extinction event, things like how the fish first gained legs and how they started walking and eventually become, became humans, us. So that's basically um, what I study. And I also study uh, civilization as a system um, and basically how that relates to um, new technologies, um, things like AI and stuff like that. So let me ask you, as you have gone through and, and how long have you been doing this type of research? First of all, let me start there. So I graduated in 2020 and essentially I've been working independently since 2020, essentially um, going down this rabbit hole uh, known as the firm paradox where, or essentially, you know, the question of, either are aliens here or are we alone in the universe or what's going on? Because, you know, many people see like, you know, UFOs and they think that that must be aliens. However, um, if there were alien civilizations, there's also other ways to detect them besides, you know, seeing their spacecraft like um, radio signals. The, the big question is why don't we see radio signals from these alien civilizations? So yeah, just, just I've been going down that rabbit hole um, since 2020, so about four years now. So one of the things uh, with the Fermi paradox is obviously there's there's a part of that that they say the great filter. So there's a, a possibility that you have to have a technological advanced or a technological society advanced enough to detect to see these things. And it seems like with the advent of AI, with the advent of some of the new technologies, we're beginning to see more and more of these things that are quote-unquote anomalous don't necessarily mean that they are alien in nature in fact um i think a lot more recently some of the things that have come into the ufology field is that there is possibilities of either breakaway civilizations breakaway um technologies that 
this is all starting to come into play. The more and more we talk to people that are, you know, in the sciences field. And I think one of the things that has been really interesting that, that, and I know Ross Cothart has been talking about this is could we have had a civilization millions of years ago that broke and somehow we're seeing the technological uh, remnants of that is, are we seeing quote unquote craft or, or whatever these things are that are in the air. Um, and obviously the Pentagon has talked about it. The department of defense has talked about it. Um, there's an obvious, obvious technological component going along with this. Um, why do you think that is? Do you think that there is a possibility of a remnant civilization or do you think this is something that maybe is in fact extraterrestrial in nature? When you say, um, when something is, do you mean like the, the UFO phenomenon or, mm -hmm. or what do you mean? When you so naturally the UFO phenomenon, but also there's a lot more going on with consciousness and AI. Um, there was, I think it was, um, probably two days ago. Uh, Professor Avi Loeb talked about the distances in order to get here to Earth from anywhere else. Let's let's just use our galaxy as an example. Um, he posited that the only type of technology that could be here or the only type of life form that might be able to be here would be artificial intelligence. And we're on the doorstep right now of, of getting to that level where our artificial intelligence we could put out they call them newman probes or or i think they're von newman probes um yeah. but it's it's a very interesting time because there's so many things coming out about what we're seeing in our skies as far as the ufo phenomenon is concerned but there's a larger question there that has come about with what are we doing as far as was there a civilization here on earth previously um it's, it's an interesting thing because I don't know how you would hide a civilization for millions of years and us not, not know what's going on. Um, but maybe they're technologically at a different level than us. And it's just simply a matter of we're not there yet. We're not ready. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with this as far as there's a, there's so many more questions and answers. And it seems like every time you get an answer, there's 10 more questions. Absolutely. So there, there's a lot to break down of what you just said. Um, I'll start with um, the basically, I'll start with the distances. So as Abby Loeb talks about um, the distance, the distances from stars are massive. So if you take even like the closest star, it's um, I think a little bit more than a light year away. If I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but so a light year is an absolutely massive distance because that's the mm -hmm. distance that takes light, the fastest thing that's allowed in the universe to go a year. So if we're talking about our spacecraft, how long it would take to get a light year, you're talking about like 50,000 years or something. So um, if, if, if it's true, um, let's assume for a sec that these UFOs are an alien civilization that are visiting us, um, you would have to assume that this is a technologically advanced civilization because in 50,000 years, um, we're going to be so much more advanced and there's no reason that we would go interstellar um, until our civilization is completely evolved. Um, and that's kind of where you get to the, the things um, AI. Um, when you're talking about AI, um, one thing I talk about in my research paper is that I um, basically uh, talk about the conjecture that uh, civilization is a singularity system. So essentially what this means is, 
that if you look at the advancement of technology in Earth's history, you can go anywhere. The, the amazing part is you can go anywhere in Earth's history. And if you, if you look at the time between inventions, uh, it shows an exponential growth curve. So like, um, let's say civilization started um, as agriculture. Let's say, um, you know, it's, the numbers are shaky here because it's kind of hard, but let's say agriculture started 20,000 years ago. And then um, 10,000 years after that, there was housing. And then a smaller time frame was housing to metal tools. And then there was an even smaller time frame of metal tools to currency, essentially. Um, and then you can start with, you know, um, the Industrial Revolution essentially is the the end of, or not the end, the, the start of a new, um, of even faster growth. So essentially the singularity system is a exponentially growing system of intelligence. And um, we're actually not at the end. So, you know, even though we have all this crazy technology, we have planes, we have cars, we have, you know, technology that if you showed someone uh, 2000 years ago, they would think you're a wizard. They would think you're a magician god or something. If you like showed them an iPhone, they'd be like, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, so AI, the singularity system, it's not done yet. And it's going, um, it's still evolving. And essentially the question might be is what will happen when this singularity system finally plateaus? Because physics is absolute. And eventually there's gonna be a physical limit for whatever thing you're trying to optimize there's going to be a physical limit, for example, um, Moore's law, which is the exponential growth of um, computer chips or whatever. Um, eventually, Moore's law will end because we're going to create a chip that's the physically most efficient, um, the, the most efficient chip possible within physics. So eventually, we're going to plateau. And um, let's say we do plateau. What would our alien ships look like then? Well, now you're talking about the possibility of ships that could potentially approach the speed of light not get there but approach it um and even then it's still going to take a hundred thousand years to get to the other side of the galaxy so when you're talking about you know the conjecture that one of these ufos is an alien civilization um if our if they hadn't come into contact with us um i think the only conclusion is that they're messing with us or pranking us because okay. if they had reached this plateau of of if they were a singularity system and they had evolved to like the end of the singularity system and they plateaued and you know beat physics essentially got to the limit of physics they would have you know had the power to destroy our civilization if they wanted to um so if we do assume that these ufos are alien um you would be essentially saying that they're just messing with us that would be my interpretation so if the alien and i'm gonna pop off screen real real fast here my light just died so give me one second i gotta pop that back in there we go that's better sorry about that um so if we discount the alien hypothesis what remains is a couple of things one supernatural i'm not resigned to that um I, I have a hard time. I, I have an analytical mind, so I have a hard time putting my head around uh, angels and demons. I just, it just doesn't compute for me personally. Um, others are, are big into that hypothesis. I am not. I, 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 I don't try to discount anything 
But if there's any hypothesis that I would discount the quickest, so it would, would, would definitely be the angels and demons thing. I believe with the, the age of the earth and the epics that have gone through, I believe there could be a civilization here on earth that has technologically advanced. Now, again, I don't know how they would have done it. Um, you know, if you had a, a civilization that was a couple, five million years old or whatever it is, it, to the point where it would be viable for that type of civilization to live and, and, and go through, as you say, their singularity. Um, so pardon me. Could are there be remnants of that? Are you suggesting that perhaps um, a civilization had essentially evolved, let's say, you know, the singularity system, if they had mm -hmm. essentially gotten to the technological advancement of plateauing, and then instead of, you know, telling the humans on the planet, what they did was leave and then, you know, create um, one of these essentially von Neumann's machines. Mm -hmm. So probably, I'm not sure if all your viewers are familiar, but I'll just give a brief explanation of what it means. So essentially, um, if you have a machine that um, has significant technological advancement, it can essentially, um, one, the assumption is that a von Neumann machine, or my assumption, if I were to you know, try to build one or something, is that let's say you have a, a fusion reactor Mm -hmm. um, now you have the ability to basically convert matter into energy. And once you do that, you can basically um, gather a bunch of matter, turn it into a bunch of energy, and then make another copy of, a, of that same fusion reactor. And now you have two. So right. the, the entire galaxy is brimming with matter. I mean, you take the Earth and, you're, and we're like, you know, fighting over the scarcity on Earth. That's just one tiny planet. There's billions. So if you were to make this machine, maybe the you know, going off this, you know, highly speculative idea um, is that the singularity system had created such a machine and then they left and, and they were like, you know what, let's just let these humans evolve on their own. We can, you know, go off into the stars, eat their matter and create a society of our own um, and then come back and mess with them. So I, I guess that's what, what I'm, my interpretation of, sure. of this idea is. But um, there hasn't been, I, you know, there hasn't been any evidence of this. And I think it would be very difficult to cover up something so you know crazy. i would agree there these are things that um you know recently i've seen and it's interesting uh because you know there's also the hypothesis that mars at one point was a harbinger of life and possibly the the catalyst for earth now i i haven't gone down that hole and and really studied that um but it, it seems likely that there's a possibility that it was at least, a, a, you know, a seed, whether that seed came directly from space somewhere um, and, and sparked life on Earth. You know, there's there's so many, like I said before, you know, every question that we have and there's 10 more. So through your research, what are some of the things that you've gone through that you've either concluded um, or feel that you're towards a conclusion towards any of these answers really um like i said there's so many questions and then where do we go you know what do we do from that point absolutely yeah i can talk about that so um i think what you're talking about is the the hypothesis of um i'm forgetting the name well it's Thanks, basically Bernie. there's there's two possible ideas of how life came along one idea is abiogenesis so abiogenesis um, is basically the idea that 
matter on Earth, um, perhaps through chemical systems, eventually gained the ability to drop an egg. And then once that happened, it made a bunch of copies of itself and then eventually evolved into life. So that's right. abiogenesis that it basically occurred on Earth. And then, um, oh yeah, it's called panspermia. The idea yeah. that um, some other thing, like such as Mars, like you just spoke of, like somehow there was life on there and then that life traveled through space and then crashed into Earth and then seeded Earth somehow. So I actually talk about this in my research. I am a very, very strong proponent that abiogenesis occurred on Earth um, for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the first reason is uh, this whole panspermia idea um, is essentially suggesting that abiogenesis occurred on another planet and then um, somehow um, by a miraculous thing traveled through space without dying and then crashed, you know, which would create immense heat because our Earth has an atmosphere. So anything that tries to fall into Earth will become super, super hot. So, and then managed to live and then create copies of itself. So this is essentially monumentally less likely than simply abiogenesis occurring on Earth. Um, and in my uh, research paper, I actually um, have the hypothesis that uh, the reason abiogenesis occurred on Earth was because of plate tectonics. Um, essentially, there's there's one main problem with turning non-living matter into living matter that can self-replicate, and that's the problem of energy. Um, because right now, um, energy, we essentially, our ecosystem gets all of its energy from photosynthesis, which is like the bottom of the food chain. Like plants, right. they take energy from the sun, and then we eat the plants, and bada boom, bada bing, we get energy, and now we're alive. But the problem is photosynthesis is a very chemically complicated process. So there needs to be some other way to get chemical energy besides photosynthesis for um, life to go from non-living matter to living matter. So basically plate tectonics is you know amazing because what it does is um, it takes like the our hot core, there's, there's constant heat energy and this creates chemical energy and this surfaces on divergent boundaries and then it's exposed to the surface, um, you know, weathering, chemistry, you know, sunlight, all this stuff. And then eventually it's after spending millions of years on the surface, it eventually goes back into the mantle and recycles. Um, so basically, yeah. Um, what I argue in my paper is that um, uh, there was chemical constructions that were essentially um, large chemical systems that, um, lasted indefinitely because the, you could call the plate tectonics on Earth essentially a conveyor belt. It's basically feeding free chemical energy, and it's an it's an an, an unending conveyor belt like a food machine. So if there was a some sort of chemical system, and it lasted indefinitely because its ingredients kept getting replenished by this conveyor belt, um, then eventually, if it was mutating for millions and millions of years, it might randomly eventually drop an egg and that's what would have created life in the first place. So that's one thing that I argue in my research. So what is your thought on the, the ET hypothesis? There is a, I don't remember the name of the theory, but there's a specific theory that um, ET seeded life, that life came from, you know, and again, I, I tend to agree with what you're saying about the biome. I, I, that makes the most sense to me. Um, but again, you know, there are some that say uh, at some point, you know, maybe maybe the biome came together, right? And and life 
flickered on. And over millions of years, we got into more complex organisms, um, even maybe to the point of, of you know, ape-like ancestors and or, uh, you know, I, I believe the closest link that they have is the Lucy um, Arthropithecus. I can't remember the name of it, but there seems to be still that missing link, right? There still seems to be. In, in in human in the human timeline, when you you know, you do a little thing where it goes from an amoeba all the way up and is an ape, and then we're finally to man, um, there still seems to be a missing link there, or several missing links. And there's a hypothesis that at some point in time, um, humanity was bioengineered to move forward. And there's been some positive examples from people that are in the uh, genetics field that say that we we have this bunch of junk DNA that is not really junk DNA at all. It is, in fact, uh, what they say is our bioengineering. So I haven't gone deeply down that hole, but there is a hypothesis out there. Do you find that in any way plausible, implausible? Like, like is that just silly? I haven't personally done any research on this idea. But what I would ask is, can you elaborate on what, when you say missing links, what exactly, like, was there some sort of so contribution in our evolution that leads to a red flag of something's missing here? Or what exactly do you mean by that? So it feels like, so when they, when you look at the line of progression or, or what is supposed to be the line of progression through, um, I you mean from single channel to civilization. That's right. Um, there seems to be like you can tell where you go from A to B to C to D. And it's a it's a steady line that goes upwards. Right. Somewhere between those apes that stand up and humans, there's a gap there. There's, there's not there's not a, a consistent flow there. So they call that the missing link. They call that there's somewhere in there and it, it they think it might have happened anywhere from 100,000 to 200,000 years ago, maybe even further. Some of the geological forms that they put together, they don't have. The problem is, is we don't have that information. We don't know where it went from, okay, we believe single cell organisms went to multi-cell organisms, went to, you know, obviously over time went to a fish, fish because on land, and, and we can see that progression going on. We can see that through the fossil record. Um, but there seems to be a link and that's where I don't, it's a lot of it's pseudoscience um, that they come through and they say, well, the, the link is, is that we were somehow engineered. We were, we, we were given some sort of spark that brought us from apes to humans. And I don't know that I believe in that, but it's been put out there. Um, it's an interesting concept. Um, but I have difficulty with it as well. It's an interesting thought process. It's an, inter it's an, uh, an interesting thought experiment. Um, it would explain some of the gaps, but I, I think that there's a more prosaic answer for it. I don't, I don't think that we jump right to the ET hypothesis on that. And I, that's where some of my problems with some of the people that are trying to do explanations in this is it, we can't go there right away. Um, we, we have other steps that we need to take in order to get there before we do that. But 
it's an interesting concept. It's an inter interesting thought process. Yeah, I can talk about that. So I think um, I have found a lot of, in my research of, of studying um, Earth's evolutionary history very um, um, thoroughly, um, there's a couple things where we can look at missing links of, of big, I think, largely unknown um, things. So the first thing I could talk about is the dinosaur extinction rate. So in my paper, what I argue is that um, Earth initially was not a singularity system, which we are right now, because we're right now existing in an evolutionary, um, sorry, an exponentially growing intelligent system. So um, I propose that the dinosaur extinction event is essentially what created the singularity system on Earth, um, because essentially reptiles, uh, large dinosaurs, which are, I mean, large reptiles are dinosaurs, um, they lay eggs and there's a big, big problem with laying eggs. And the problem is that um, they're not naturally inclined to create family units. Um, so this means that essentially natural selection, the evolution process that happened on earth is basically selecting the biggest and baddest and most, um, you know, powerful reptiles because none of them are, are collaborating. So all that matters is who wins the fight, you know, who is able to protect their eggs, um, so this is essentially why dinosaurs existed for 178 million years and were never able to create metal tools. They were never able to create um, anything that res closely resembles a civilization. But um, here comes the missing link, uh, the dinosaur extinction. Miraculously, um, all the dinosaurs, all these large reptiles were wiped out and the mammals that were existing at the time survived, which is amazing because Normally, mammals were never able to grow large during this um, this time of mammal um, dinosaur dominance. The largest mammal at this time grew to the size of a beaver. So now, essentially, what we have is we have a planet where all these these annoying reptiles that never collaborate, they never even bother to like help each other out. They just try to say, uh, "I'm bigger and I win the fight." Now I get to protect my eggs. And now all these mammals who are naturally collaborating because um, since mammals don't lay eggs, they give live birth. Um, this creates a couple, you know, consequences. Number one is when you're vulnerable during pregnancy, um, this essentially makes you evolve to have an offspring that's also vulnerable because you want to have that kid as soon as possible. And then rather than, you know, keeping that kid in your stomach, you can, um, feed a vulnerable young. And so basically that that's number one is, the second a, a, a mammal is born, its mother is incentivized to care for it because it's going to be naturally weak when it's born. And then number two is, um, as you know, they evolve together. You know, you have the, the milk. Um, basically, they're incentivized to collaborate. And this is essentially um, when you have a system um, that's mammal, an ecosystem that's mammal dominated. Now, natural selection is no longer selecting individuals who are big and strong. I mean, sure, being big and strong is good. You know. You got tigers and lions, but now it's essentially selecting a family unit. Which family unit can successfully um, outcompete the other family unit? Um, and what what this does is it incentivizes collaboration and um, intelligence, and essentially selects for intelligence because if you're in a family unit and you can more effectively communicate and learn and um, collaborate, essentially you're going to be more effective. So this is essentially why. I propose that we became a singularity system because now all of a sudden natural selection is selecting intelligence and 
this is why you know we went from apes to humans because um eventually we got smart enough to to realize you know tools um are very useful and then um the smart hominid was like oh i'll tell my kid that because then he will help my family unit as well and then it became a tradition and um once you have a tool making tradition you can confidently say that you're in a singularity system because you have three things evolving and they're all symbiotically evolving you have tools that are getting more sophisticated and that helps the family unit survive and then you have um, the teaching of one hominid teaching his young how to create a tool and how to use it effectively and that can evolve because when you um are taught something and then you eventually teach that to your kid you're gonna you know take the best things that you learn maybe throw away the um, weird things that your dad taught you like oh your dad taught you to do some weird thing you're like no okay i'll leave that out and i'll just take the best stuff so these <laughs> this is evolving right so slowly the whole system is evolving and this is why i think we were able to eventually get such sophisticated technology because now we've entered this new stage of evolution. Where do you think we are as far as on that, the, you're talking about that singularity. Where do you think we are now on that tree? Like, um, so obviously when you talk about a Silicon chip, eventually it's going to get to its, its best state. Right. And can't, you really can't do anything beyond that. But now we're into quantum systems, right? And and we're slowly getting into it. I think the, the biggest system right now is nine qubits, but I believe IBM is working on the next generation. It's called Jaguar, I believe. Um, it's going to go to 14 qubits. And then obviously we're going to continue to grow into that. So where do you think we are now on that tree? I sometimes call it a technology tree. Like, so we, we started with, the discovery of electricity and from the discovery of electricity, we were able to harness, harvest, uh, harness electricity and create inventions around that. Um, do we have more things that we're going to find as far as um, discoveries as opposed to uh, an invention? Because obviously you need to discover something before you can make inventions around it. That's, I just gave you the example with electricity. Um, will there be, more of that to come in the human history and the human cycle of, of moving towards that end? Or do you think we're getting close to that end now? You know, you talk about a civilization that could be 50,000 years old and 50,000 years advanced, which is not, I mean, there's conceivably civilizations that could, could be billions of years ahead of us. If you, if you look at the totality of the entire universe, you're talking about just this massive timescale. Right. And James Webb Telescope just just kind of upended the 13 to 16 billion year old hypothesis of the universe being that old. And maybe it's even older than we thought, maybe even two times as old as that. Who knows which, you know, that's what we all these things are coming together now that were science. Well, not necessarily fact, um, but certainly tenets that we 100 percent believe we thought the you know universe was 13 to 16 billion billion years old. Suddenly we put this thing in the sky up a million miles away from Earth and it's it's older. It's quite a bit older. Um, so where is I'm kind of talking too much here, but where is humans on this scale? Are we anywhere near it? Are we just like if, if you look at the, um, the the scale of the universe? I mean, so we've got the scale of the universe and then humanity is like literally like less than a hair. I mean, that's not, that's not, we're babies. I mean, not even babies. We're thought of, probably we would be considered a one cell organism on the scale 
of the entire universe. So what you're talking about, I think, is essentially the evolution of our singularity system. So when you're Correct. talking about new discoveries in the future, um, I kind of look at it um, as like milestones. So like, you know, first we had the steam engine and then we had the car and then we had the plane and then, you know, we had the Internet. So I think the Internet has been the most recent, like, in intelligence milestone of our singularity system. Um, and I think it's it's one of the, the most impactful things because when you look at the singularity system, you're talking about evolution of intelligence. And um, one of the best ways to evolve intelligence is through communication of simply communicating ideas through throughout the entire system. And like whenever someone has a discovery, they don't just tell like their neighbor and their you know their friend a couple of doors by, they post on the internet and now literally every human on the planet has access to that knowledge. So it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. Right. Um, so this is essentially, um, the question is what type of technology will come after the internet? So I think um, we're nowhere near plateauing yet as a system because you know every day there's there are tons and tons of new papers that come out. Um, there's so many things that everyone, all the humans on the planet are studying and they're making new discoveries daily and they're making new inventions daily. Um, but I think there is one um, discovery invention that will trump them all. And essentially this is what um, a, lot of, a lot of these AI companies are essentially working on. Um, it's essentially called a, a singularity or AGI or an AGI singularity. Um, what they're referencing to is a program that can enter a recursive feedback loop of infinite intelligence. So, um, you could say like this entire system on earth, um, which is a singularity system. Now imagine just taking the important parts of this exponentially evolving system and put that into a program. Um, the main difference between our singularity system and a singularity system that someone could put into a program is that rather than having this intelligence dispersed throughout 8 billion humans, and it's kind of hard to communicate if you concentrate all this in one system, you can essentially feed a bunch of processing power into that system. And if that system can efficiently simulate things like physics, um, um, ideas, inventions, um, basically it could potentially, if we were to funnel enough processing power into one system, um, basically invent everything for us. Like it could say like, oh, I want you, Mr. Program, to evolve our civilization 50,000 years into the future. And it could tell us all the things because it can essentially, in a way, if someone were to successfully create such a program, it would be able to fast forward time um, and essentially tell us what the future inventions will look like. So this is how we would engineer essentially these von Neumann machines or whatever, where they can eat matter and make copies of themselves and then go off wherever they want. Um, this is essentially what I argue is the final invention of this singularity system. Because once some, someone invents this, then you can just tell that to invent the rest of stuff that's physically possible. And that's essentially when the system plateaus because it's basically done. It wins, you know, I don't know how else to describe it. So that's the do you, um Do you see a danger in that? You, you hear from, you know, like Sam Altman, who is very forward thinking, but you, you hear from others. Um, I'll give you Elon Musk as an example. Um, states that that AGI, the, 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 the singularity moment in, in a computing system 
with artificial intelligence is dangerous. Do you believe that? Do you think that that's hyperbole? What do you think on that? Well, I mean, I think it's dangerous in the fact that if the wrong person um, who doesn't have the right motives uh, is able to create a, a singularity, they can essentially um, have absolute power over the planet if they so choose. So in that way, yes, it's absolutely dangerous. However, I think it's in no one's best interest. Um, so I guess I'll take this time now to um, say that uh, I am working on um, a program that can, that I believe um, has the potential to enter such a recursive feedback loop of infinite intelligence. And what I plan to do on this is nothing sort of danger. What I plan to do with this program is to eliminate scarcity on Earth. So essentially, um, there's um, basically the idea of this you know, machine. Um, you can look at the asteroid belt, and if you were to take just the metals and all the materials on the asteroid belt, that would essentially be the equivalent of $100 billion per person. So um, essentially, my um, you know company, I guess you could say, it's what it really is is a, a decentralized autonomous organization that is um, supposed to be democratic, um, though there's um, challenges with that because I haven't gotten, and there's also the challenge of trying to get money to train this program because it's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars in likelihood to train such a program. So um, what I'm doing, what I'm working towards is basically make this program. And then what we can do is we can use it to get all the stuff in the asteroid belt and we can distribute that stuff for free because once you eliminate scarcity, um, there's essentially no reason for anyone to fight anymore um, because everyone can live the life they choose. They can live in a gigantic house mansion with all their friends and do whatever they want all day. Um, this is essentially the power you get when you have a singularity. Um, so it is dangerous if it's in the wrong hands, but if it's in the right hands, it's going to be the best thing for society that could have ever happened because we're going to be able to eliminate scarcity once and for all and, you know, create a theme park on Venus and create a, you know, civilization on Mars. And we don't even need to do it. We can just tell the robot to do it for us. And essentially we want this robot on our side and then it can essentially make our society into a utopia. What types of um, controls would you have to put in place? Because I could see, let's say, so I can tell you're obviously a good person. Um, but what happens if, you know, those those moments where, aha, Dr. Evil comes in and uh, obviously I'm being facetious here. But so somebody gets control of this system. What types of controls can you put in place to ensure that that doesn't occur? Because certainly would seem to be a very... Uh, a delicious concept for somebody, especially maybe even a rogue nation. Maybe, uh, you know, I can think of one off the top of my head. If North Korea got a hold of that, that would probably be very bad for us. Um, I don't want to live in a world that, that is, you know, thought of as, as deities, uh, you, your leaders are a deity. And, and that for me would be incredibly scary. So what types of controls can be put in place so that these things could never occur? Would we have to make it a, so you're talking about an infinite loop system. Would you have to make it a closed system? Like once it's created, you got to let it go and let it do its own thing and understand, you know, what, what can we tell a machine about humanity and about our society that won't make it turn, that won't make it say, well, this doesn't make sense. Is there, are there built-ins? Because that would seem to me 
the opposite of what you want that system to do, because you want that system to not only self-replicate, but you also want that system to make conscious decisions on, on behalf of humanity. Um, what would we do to, to, to put that in place to make sure that there were no, you know, Skynet make, you know, I know it's a silly science fiction movie, but you know, we, these are things that we have to think about now. No, it's a great question. And it's very realistic because there are, um, other people besides me who are also trying to create such a program. Um, so one thing you can do is, um, let's say you have like, you put this thing underground, um, you put this program underground and it can train underground. And what, like what you don't want is, um, not only is there a, a risk of like some rogue nation getting this technology and then basically doing whatever they want. Um, but the second issue is that if the singularity itself um, is not aligned with humanity's interest, um, it would have the power to create technology that's so far um, crazy that like we would have essentially as a human population in our current technology, we would have no counterplay. It would essentially be able to do whatever it wants. Um, so, so basically um, to prevent both of these problems from ever coming to fruition, what you want to do is you want to put a, a basically server underground and the only way to communicate for, for this underground program that enters this loop of infinite intelligence, the only way for it to communicate with um, the system on earth is to go through all the humans, like, up, you know, I don't know, each, you know, elevator or whatever it has to communicate. So whenever um, it wants to try to get information out, um, it's going to have to go through all the humans and then we can make sure that it's aligned with all of the humans. And then if you take like, like a machine where um, you've, you've successfully, let's say we get to the point where we successfully create such a program and it's able to engineer us a way to um, turn the asteroid belt into, um, you know, engineered into whatever we want and eliminate scarcity. Um, you don't even necessarily need to put um, the infinitely intelligent program onto like that ship. All you need to do is say, hey, program, engineer the ship for me. And then I'll just send the ship in and then you can just control it like with a joystick. It, like it, it's just a robot, right? Once you engineer that robot. So um, there are precautions that you can put into place to make sure that the interests are aligned um, with, with, you know, the people who want um, to use this program for good. So for example, let's say tomorrow someone gave me, you know, a bunch of money. I would make an underground hole. I would put the server in there and then I would train the program and then I would make so any information like this program wouldn't even have internet access because when you give that thing internet access it can actually start trying to convince other humans from the rogue nations hey can you help me out all you need to do is this and this and this and then I can do this and this and this and then boom now I've essentially escaped my black box you never want it to escape right. the black box you can essentially put things into place to prevent any rogue nation and basically um, you have one overall aligned interest, which is to create a utopia on Earth by removing scarcity, and then you only allow it to do things that will go through that goal, and you never allow it to leave. And then, you know, eventually um, you can do other things. But yeah, basically, that's how I think. So I what would you're talking about is creating a, a a black box of of this intelligence that. Um, is obviously not able to connect to our worldwide communication or internet, um, which makes sense to me. Um, would you, 
consider that a consciousness? Um, I think it's hard to know. Um, maybe, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't really understand consciousness at a level where I could say this is conscious or this is not, but when I think of consciousness, I think of feelings and the ability to feel pain and you can tell you're conscious because you can feel pain, but when you're a, a robot system like ChatGPT or something, sure, it might have a, a negative reward signal, but is it really feeling pain? I wouldn't say so. And I think um, there's no necessarily, there's no reason that we would need to make this thing conscious. Um, like we might figure out later, um, like many have speculated that consciousness is a quantum phenomena. Um, mm -hmm. So basically, I think there's probably a way, like once this program enters a recursive feedback loop, it could create consciousness of, of its own. But I don't think it's uh, necessarily going to be conscious. Even if it's infinite intelligence, that doesn't necessarily mean it's conscious. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's hard to say. It's, it's a lot of speculation, but so, yeah, because the reason that I said that and why I talk about that is, um, you know, I talk to uh, other people behind the scenes, um, PhDs that are working on consciousness. Um, that's their goal. Their goal is to make a conscious machine. And one of the questions that I've had for that is, let's say we let's do the thought experiment where so we put your your computer, you we put your intelligence, let's call it. Um, into a system, right? And we, we black box that system. And let's say it, it creates, you know, the definition of life is so difficult because if we think about the, the age of the universe, the age of our, our galaxy, and let's say we've had a civilization that has visited us and we do have anomalous things in the sky, there's things going on. And, and, and I, I talked to a lot of people that are intelligence communicators and intelligence committee. And, and I've talked to um, a lot of people and seen a lot of weird things. But one of the things that they talk about a lot is that these UAP are conscious, are conscious entities. And some of the uh, luminous orbs are there for specific reasons. Some of the um, reasons why they communicate is through that quantum in, in consciousness. There's a consciousness somewhere going on there. And you, I don't completely understand it myself. I talk to people that have a lot of theories about it. Um, Dr. Jack Sarfati is one. Um, you know, he talks about conscious AI, he talks about conscious machinery, he talks about um, how these things communicate back and forth. And one of the things, if, if we black box, okay, so we take this technology that you've created and we black box it, what's saying that at some point it does become conscious is it cruel to leave it alone? Is it um, like, what's our definition of life? Like, what's that spark? Okay, so for you and I to say life, we think of a biological system, right? We think, you know, skin, blood, bones, eyes, ears, touch, uh, empathy, uh, lack of empathy. You know, that's part of humanity as well. Um, the, the, whole, the whole gamut. Would we be an evil civilization boxing that thing in um you know what is it what does it look like to that system you know it's it's a 
It's a True. thought experiment. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's just a thought experiment. Like, would you want to be caged in a box? Like, if if you if you let that intelligence go and, and it was able to just keep going and going because it's going to be learning every second that it's there. Um, do we then have to give it a mate? I mean, is that silly? It is but again, we think about intelligence being in a box but if it does create that spark i guess of consciousness um where do we go from there what, what do we think about what can we do for it because i would imagine it would be quote unquote a friend right and you wouldn't want your friend to go without some type of input that our consciousness needs everywhere we need to talk to people we like our pets we like you know it's, I know it's a weird question, but it's like, where do we go? Because we're on the doorstep of these things. Right. I think it's a valid question. And I have, I think I have a good answer. So um, the first thing is, let's say this thing is black boxed or whatever. I don't think it'll actually be like, let's say you're, you're concerned from a moral argument. You're like, um, is this kind of cruel? You're not giving it any input data or something. And it's just alone in this box. But I think that would actually be um, different to like what the reality would be. I think it would be perfectly content to be in its black box because um, the whole evolution of, of how it's um, going to evolve is it's going to act actually like within this black box is going to be an entirety of its like society. And it's not just going to be like one thing. It's going to be many copies of essentially like human like intelligences that are all interacting in their own society all within this like black box so and they're all going to be like playing games and you know having fun in basically their own little society um so i think number one is the singularity will probably be perfectly content in its own little box and number two is um maybe you know we could just ask it and be like hey do you want to like go out into the real world well if so what we're going to do is we'll, we'll make like um since it's going to be able to engineer anything, we can just say, hey, buddy, um, engineer a consciousness, and then we can put that into, like, a robot, and then you can, like, walk around and, like, say hi to the humans who, like, programmed you. And like, we can, like, you know, fist bump, and it'll be our homie, you know? Like, I think, you know, on the surface, it, may, it might be like, oh, you know, it's, it's a hard moral question, conflicting. But I, I think, um, I think it'll be happy and essentially also when you're um when your consciousness is something that's represented in ones and zeros rather than like a biological consciousness um there's much less pain because biological consciousness is built in with pain but when you're talking about a digitized mm -hmm. consciousness you can actually make it much happier and content to like exist and you can even remove pain so like if you're conscious without pain like and you're also like living in a very interesting society, like playing games with your friends. I think, you know, it's hard to complain there. Do you so think that, like, um, do you think that we're talking about a quantum system or are we talking about a traditional system here? I think it's possible to create a singularity without using any quantum algorithms or quantum computing. But when you're talking about consciousness and like the ability to like, exist in a place and like feel things i think it's possible that that might require some sort of quantum computer like many have like i don't know i mean when i went down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out 
what exactly in the brain makes it conscious. Um, you you arise on this thing like this idea of microtubules could be um, quantum in nature. They could create um, basically what you want to do is probably create some sort of quantum superposition um, and do calculations with that, or, or in other words, a qubit. So um, it's definitely not purely speculative to say that um, quantum systems exist in the human biologics because our nose is literally um, an example of something that uses quantum because when um, your nose is analyzing like a new molecule to like tell your brain like what it's smelling, I'm, I'm almost certain that it uses some sort of quantum calculation in its thing. So it's perfectly plausible to, if, if these quantum algorithms were beneficial for natural selection and um, actually beneficial because as we know, like certain quantum algorithms um, completely beat traditional computers in, in terms of efficiency. So it's perfectly rational to believe that some sort of quantum algorithm would evolve in a brain and it would use that to perform certain calculations. So, and that might've been um, how consciousness arises in the first place is by using quantum like superpositions, qubits, and somehow that allows you to feel things and like have a conscious experience. So that's my idea of like, I'm not so, so sure that you would be able to make consciousness with just traditional algorithms, but that's mostly just because I don't really understand how consciousness works. And I don't think anyone really purely has a full understanding of how exactly we experience pain. I know there's a lot of work with the, with the quantum world, I, I, I should say on the whole, um, and, uh, through, the human brain. Um, there's been a lot of uh, connections, a lot of work, um, you know, dis different disciplines trying to equate how the brain reacts to stimuli, how the brain reacts to exactly what you said. You, you smell and all of a sudden you have something going on, the process that's going on. Um, and, and I've heard that before. I've not heard it quite explained that way to me, um, but I've heard that before. And it, it really comes and it makes you question, you know, once you get, you know, let's say we're going to have, I think, like I said, that the, the next one is like 14 qubits is the next one. Um, when you finally get to that system that has a million qubits or 5 million qubits, you know, is that even possible? Um, what would that quantum system look like at that point? What would it be capable of? Um, I would imagine that it would be, I don't want to use the term God, but it would be next to God-like, I would think, because the computations and the calculations and, and the ability of that type of system. Um, and if you get to that level and that level is where your consciousness or where consciousness lies, um, I could see that being a, a something that could catapult our civilization to... I mean, almost pure energy, I would think, at that point. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's you know, out of the question. I, it's, it's, again, I, I go through these thought experiments because I love this type of stuff and I love to think about that and, you know, what's possible and what's not possible. I believe that there's a lot of things that are out there that we, um, we haven't figured out yet. We, we, we're just touching the surface of these things. And, um, for me, it's an exciting time because I'm involved a little bit in the quantum field. Again, I'll, 
I, I can tell you a little bit about that on the other end of things. Um, I don't want to get into it here. Um, but I can just tell you that there's some things going on in that field that I am aware of. Um, but throughout the other side of this is uh, what, what do we look like in 50,000 years? You know, where are we um, I, I, as a human civilization? I mean, I think we can achieve quite a bit of greatness just over the next hundred years. Think about where we've been right since, since Kitty Hawk and, and we've gotten off the ground and was it 130 years, 125 years, something like that um, to being capable of putting things into space and being able to, um, you know, put man on the moon, being able to, you know, here in the next decade or so putting boots on Mars. I mean, that's pretty epic. I mean, that's, you know, think about what hum humanity has achieved in that short period of time is, is just mind boggling to me. I can see, you know, I'm 50 years old, so I can see the difference in my technology just from when I was a kid to now. Like if, if, if I took my phone, right? I took my phone as a kid or as an adult and I went back in time and I showed this to me as a kid, me playing Pong and playing, you know, Frogger and whatever else I'd be like, you know, and that's just 30 years ago. So, so think about what's going to happen a hundred years, 200, 250 years. So long as we don't blow ourselves up, you know, there's hopefully we can get past that. That would be a nice thing to end some wars here, but um, it's, it's, insane to think about what these systems are going to be able to do for humanity. Um, I guess the last part before we wrap up, cause I'm going to be wrapping up here in about probably 10 minutes or so. Um, what do you think UAPs are? What do you think this whole phenomenon is that's going on outside? Um, it's obviously something real. Um, there's something going on. Uh, what do you think it is? That's a hard one. That's a really hard one. I mean, it is. when I, I see all this stuff on the news, I know for a fact that some of it is, 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 is a hoax because when you see like Mexico and then they bring something that looked like it was from the movie ET, you're just like, come on guys. Like that's clearly like some art project that you put on display. But when you're talking about all these, um, these flying crafts, like I personally haven't seen one. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who's like, if you think there's aliens on this planet, then show me one. Because I don't think of, because anyone can make a video and anyone can tell their, their, their AI to like make a video. Well, not anyone. But the point is when you're talking about footage, there's always a question of validity. Um, and when you're talking about, the, like the Pentagon and them releasing this stuff, you, you don't actually truly know what their motive is. And they I might you can always say the Pentagon is just releasing all this stuff because they want to divert our attention. And that would be a perfect way to divert our attention say like, Oh my God, aliens are real. This is insane. We, we got a, the alien crashed. Um, and we, we retrieved a thing, but, but if you think about it, any alien, that has crashed and on our planet would clearly be a post singularity civilization, which means their civilization would have technology that's completely unfathomable to us. Um, so if someone had you know, got that, that would be like a super crazy technology and they would probably show it off or like do something else with it rather than just like hold it. 
is like, what's the use of a technology if you just keep it in secret? You want to use that technology to like do awesome things like remove scarcity and like make a bunch of money or something, right? So why would they be holding it in secret? That part doesn't make sense to me. Um, but when you're talking about UFOs, there's like the sheer number of, of sightings. And um, I think it's entirely possible that a big percentage of them are foreign nations that have just created craft that are able to fly that don't look like a plane or a helicopter. I mean, there, there's certainly like the physical possibility that you can create an aircraft that is not a plane or a helicopter. And if anyone saw something that wasn't a plane or a helicopter, they'd be like, that's a UFO. <laughs> but I think it's entirely possible that a sighting could be just a foreign nation flying up an experimental craft that they haven't disclosed publicly. And then there's also the, so yeah, when you, so I, yeah, there's, there's, there's governments like the Pentagon who could be diverting our attention. There's foreign nations that could have just made a craft. Um, so that's what I think about when, when I see UFO, those are like the possibilities that I think of, or it's just like a video that has been created with Photoshop. So those are the three possibilities. I think I don't believe that it's aliens because um, basically in my paper, I make the argument that um, we are the only civilization in the observable universe or naturally created civilization because um, this is kind of a lot of my research of when I looked at the, um, the evolutionary history, like certain things like the dinosaur extinction event that we know was absolutely necessary for civilization to exist. This was actually a highly, highly, highly anomalous event because um, not only was it a, a, a meteor that struck us and just so happened to hit a sulfur deposit, which released a bunch of sulfur into the air, which created a global winter, which is like, it would be completely different if it just hit, like if it had just splashed into the water, probably almost mm -hmm. nothing would happen, but, but like a big tsunami. But it just so happened to hit a sulfur deposit. And um, a million years before, this um, asteroid just so happened to hit a sulfur deposit, an eruption in India, the Deccan Traps had started. And the earthquake that um, was created by this impact was so strong that it reached India and actually shook this all already erupting mantle plume, which made the eruption even strong. So that's two things that are anomalous events. And then a third thing was a Shiva crater. Now the Shiva crater is, is disputed by some scientists, but um, there is a source of, of an Indian scientist who has basically claimed that the Shiva crater, if it was a crater, it would be the largest crater on earth, but it, it's kind of, the crater kind of hit the shallow, the shallows right next to India. So many people just like, no, that's just an ocean, you know, Anomaly. give it something. Yeah. But if you assume that, that that structure is a crater, then it would be the largest crater on Earth. And it hit, the eruption was still going on when this supposed crater, which was one of basically the largest crater on Earth, so that also would have magnified the eruption. So you're talking about the most anomalous, like one in a trillion event. Um, so that already eliminates the idea that there could be another civilization in the Milky Way because there are less than a trillion planets in the Milky Way and the dinosaur extinction event was one trillion event. And then there was also other events that were also highly unlikely, um, like Theia's collision, um, the creation event of, of our moon. Um, basically a planet hits us, right? Mm -hmm. um, probably creates plate tectonics on Earth, almost certainly in fact, because um, when a, a planet accretes 
um, from the early solar system and its crust will harden. Uh, there's no reason for the crust to do anything except just stay as a, as a crust. There's no reason that plate tectonics would exist um, because that's a much higher state of energy. Um, so the only way plate tectonics could exist, I speculate, is phase collision where this um, planet hit Earth and, and the debris formed the moon. Um, I propose that this higher energy event is what cracked the crust and created a permanent plate tectonic system on Earth. Um, so one, this was necessary because the recycling. Um, two, um, abiogenesis, that argument. And then three, the moon creates tides. And then also um, this planet was supposedly had a bunch of water um, and water does not normally exist on a terrestrial planet like Earth, Venus, or Mars because um, when the sun first accreted, I mean, not when the solar system essentially initially formed, um, the solar wind would have pushed all the water to a place where it would condense. And that's basically Jupiter and beyond. So mm -hmm. it basically pushed all the water off of the terrestrial planets. So normally Earth would not have had water, but you know, lucky us, some planet with a bunch of water hits us and then all the water is infused into Earth's crust. So no sunlight can push it away. Now we have this bunch of water we have a habitable planet because of this collision. It hits us in the exact correct angle. Crazy. Um, and then, you know, there, oh, and, then there's a, and then there's a 30% rule, which is the, the fact that if Earth, um, in one billion years, the sun is actually expanding, and it'll probably start boiling the oceans in a billion years. So right. that seems like a lot of time, but if you look at Earth's age, which is just like 4 billion years or something like that, um, if we had evolved 20% or 30% slower, um, the sun would have boiled the ocean before civilization could have existed, which means if you look to our history and you find an event that has sped up um, Earth's history by 30% or more, um, you can generalize this to all civilizations because um, essentially that would have, if that didn't happen, um, the sun would boil the ocean and you have to make the assumption that, that, it, was, that it was necessary to happen. Um, just because of the principle of mediocrity, um, if you pick a random civilization, um, you must assume it's an ordinary civilization. And if we assume we're an ordinary civilization, that would imply that any other civilization that exists would also only have 30% left to go. You can say all the 30% rule aspects were probably generally necessary for any civilization to exist, which includes the AS collision, which includes the dinosaur extinction event, which includes... Um, Something I haven't talked about, the, the transition between fish to animals with legs. This was also an unlikely event where um, basically probably there was a, a volcano underwater, which mm -hmm. um, binded all the magma, stole the oxygen from um, the ocean, which killed a bunch of fish. And then there just so happened to be this one lungfish um, who, was, who now, because he can't use his gills because there's no water left in the ocean, he had to use his lungs to breathe and then this would cause him to start waddling and then the more effectively he can waddle the better which basically um, pressured it to evolve legs so this didn't happen you know this only happened because there was two events of ocean anoxic um, globally which essentially um, caused him to and pressured him to evolve legs so there's basically, those are just three things that are highly anomalous, highly unlikely, that are the reason civilization exists on Earth. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that's my research. 
No, that's great. What do you, th so just, just our own galaxy, the odds of that occurring in our own galaxy, possible, impossible. So my final Random. conclusion is that civilization occurs less than one in 10 to the 40 star systems. So 10 to the 40 is a extremely high number. So the odds that two civilizations exist in the same galaxy is basically like a point zero 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 zero, like probably 20 zeros, 1% chance based on just the pure statistics of a naturally forming civilization based on my estimates of the probabilities of these events that generally must occur for any civilization to naturally occur in our universe. So really slim basically is, is that a naturally occurring civilization would exist in our Milky Way. So the only way that a UFO could be an alien is number one, if they figure out how to teleport, which Einsteinian um, physics basically says teleportation would break causality. So it's probably not possible unless you're talking about a wormhole, but that also seems not very possible. Um, number two is a breakaway civilization. If someone had created a singularity and then were like, wait, I don't want to tell anyone about it. I'm just going to leave and then mess with them. That's also, I mean, technically possible. Like even I could say like, I don't want to tell anyone, any humans about my civilization. I'm going to create a singularity and then I'm going to go to Mars and then I'm not going to tell anyone. And then I'm going to mess with them by having UFOs like fly over. That would be kind of entertaining. <laughs> but that's, so those are basically the only two possibilities or the 0.0001% chance that another civilization just so happened to naturally form in the Milky Way and started messing with us. So those are basically the three possibilities I see if a UFO was an alien and not just a foreign nation testing out an aircraft. Or so if you had to wildly guess where humanity is in, in 500 years, 1,000 years, Let's just use those two timelines. What what do you think is is there? I think in in that timeline, um, I think in a much sooner timeline, not even talking about five hundred, um, Earth will become a utopia because someone will create a singularity, and if they are a good actor, um, which I think anyone who creates a singularity would want to be a good actor because there's just no reason like once, and then you use that singularity to remove scarcity. And create a bunch of awesome technology um i think earth will be like a great and awesome place to live um there will no be no such thing as sickness or hunger um the environmental crisis will be over because everyone the singularity will fix scarcity which will fix the crisis by create making carbon capture technology free um i don't even think about 500 a thousand years i think this could happen in our lifetimes um because I personally, well, yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much um, about like, my own program, but I believe, um, based on my own belief, I mean, based on my seeing my own program, is that it has the potential to enter this recursive feedback loop. So, it, but the the main issue for me is that I don't have anyone to train the program because it's going to cost probably a hundred million dollars bare minimum to train this program, and then also you want to put it in a black box on the ground. So there's that idea. But if, if someone were to give me the funding and let's say somehow my hypothesis is correct that this program is able to enter a recursive feedback loop of infinite intelligence, it could certainly happen in our lifetimes of removing scarcity and basically turning Earth into a utopia. So I think, yeah, 
in, in 500 years, absolutely, someone will have created a singularity by then, um, which will either mean a robot takeover or a human who is smart and generous does it, and then just, you know, removes scarcity and turns Earth into a utopia. There's simply no reason to not turn Earth into a utopia if you have the ability to, because, like, why wouldn't you, you know? That's, that's always been my thought process. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I think about human humanity in 500 years, I think it'll be an awesome place to live. Great. Well, it has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate it very much. I'm going to, when I hit the end here, we have to just hang on for a few seconds. So it completely downloads, but it's an interesting conversation. I, I enjoyed it very much. I hope your system does work and, and, if I had a hundred million dollars, I guess we could talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yo, let yeah. me know if you have someone who wants to hand me a hundred sure. million. I'll get it done. Yeah, I mean, if I drop down a hundred million, send it your way. So, do you have anything further that you'd like to discuss before we go, or are you good to go? Um, the the last thing I would want to do is if if anyone else is interested in my research, please um, check out my YouTube channel. Um, it's called Plan A Discovery. Um, Sometimes it's hard to search this stuff, but if you um, just search plan space A space discovery on YouTube or in Safari or in your internet browser, you should be able to find it or youtube.com slash at plan A discovery, no spaces. Um, you'll be able to find my channel where I discuss all of the things that I discussed in this episode in much more detail. But yeah, um, that's that's basically just plugging the channel. And I will absolutely make sure that there are links um, everywhere, uh, both in the podcast notes. Um, and then when I do post this to YouTube, it'll be in there as well. So I'll, I'll make sure. All you have to do is just email me any links you want, and I'll make sure that all the links are there for everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time. I'm going to say goodbye now so everybody that's out there if you get a moment take a look at the show notes um and then you can follow his work a little bit closer and if you have a lot of money send him a note that would be appreciated all right thank you you're welcome